You're listening to EVH and Gear TV, brought to you by Design39 Media. Visit design39media.com for all your website, photography, and video production needs. Microphones for EVH and Gear TV are provided by Rode Microphones. An official Van Halen merchandise is provided by vanhalenstore.com. And now, here's your host from Ontario, Canada, EVH artist Eric Broadbent. Hey everyone, happy Monday to you all and the first Monday of 2019. So a belated uh, happy new year to everyone. Welcome to Rocking Dead. We are live and we're joined this evening by actor James Chen, who plays Cal, as you may know, from season six through nine on Walking Dead. Cal, how are you? <laughs> Cal, James, how are you? Uh, call me whatever you want. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm Just, great. Thanks. Happy New Year. Um, way to, uh, a great way to start the year off. It's fun. I couldn't ask for a better, a better guest to start off Rocking Dead. And we have to explain to some of our fans as well, too, that we were going to have you about a week or so before Christmas, but that was no error on your part. It was an error on here. We had some major, major internet problems. As I was telling you off the air, it was like a 1997 or 1998, again, dial-up. All I needed was squawks and squeaks of a modem, and I would have felt like I was back there. <laughs> well, I'm glad we could reschedule. Um yeah, yeah, great way to kick off the new year, and I love that theme song, man. I would totally work out to the, uh, with to that at the gym. Thank you. Well, I'll send you an MP3 of it for sure. I re- appreciate that. Thank you kindly. Yeah, definitely. Awesome. Well, and I also want to say hats off to your PR team too. Uh, uh, status PR is that correct? Yeah, yeah. Stat- no, that status. Great, great team over there. Very accommodating as well too. So uh, hats off to them for facilitating and making this happen as well too. So we're gonna jump over a couple times to our live chat. We have a live chat where people will be asking you live questions uh, throughout the evening, and then we'll jump back and forth a little bit. But over in the chat so far, we've got Ken Wong here, my beautiful better half, Nocturnal Butterfly. Amber Gray's here saying hello. FNAF Gamers is here. Lost Smoke is here, and Ken Wong as well too. Uh, Happy New Year to everybody. I posted uh, the link here as well in some of the uh, Walking Dead groups as well, too. So we'll have some fans coming over. But before we dive, like we're going to dive in and out of the Walking Dead uh, swimming pool a few times here tonight. Maybe you can kind of start off by telling us a little bit how how and why uh, you got into uh, the world of acting. Oh, wow. Yeah, sure. Um how, uh, you know, I guess you know, growing up, I, I didn't, I wasn't involved really in acting. It wasn't really something that I was in contact with uh, growing up. Um, I always had a you know great imagination. I loved loved drawing. Um, I did play the piano, but as far as, as far as performing arts, it's not something I got into until college, really. Um, but I, I certainly was like keyed into it. Oddly enough, you know, in high school, watching Jay Leno every night, and uh, I absolutely like loved going to the movies. Like, you know, as a kid, it was like my buddy and I would go to the movie theater, do like double headers, triple headers, um, play video games in between, and that world and seeing movies was just um, just kind of like merged like my interests of like imagination and storytelling and action. Like, I loved martial arts growing up too. Um, so finally, when I went to college, I had a chance to explore it. And by the time I was graduating, it was it took off took a life of its own. Like I was ditching class to write and direct these plays. I had exhausted like the one or two classes I could take as a non-major, and I was like taking all these classes uh, downtown. This is in Philly, and uh, had gotten an agent. Was like going to auditions, booking commercials, and. Um, yeah, and that's kind of how I got my first taste, and um, it kind of affirmatively answered the question with a big exclamation 
mark that this is absolutely something I definitely want to do with my life. So well, that's a cool that's answer. How I got into that. How what movies really? I, I'm sure, like like myself, I can remember a few movies. My my parents were much much older than me. Like I was kind of the last of five children. So, you know, m- my dad was old to take me to movies and con- and I never went to concerts or things like that. But there was a couple movies that moved me. I remember seeing Star Wars with my dad, and I saw some Titanic movie. It wasn't obviously it wasn't the Titanic uh, James Cameron whatever. It was like some kind of archaeological Titanic movie. But it really moved me as a movie because I was spending time with my dad and that. But what movies right. for you kind of shaped you? You said you really enjoyed movies. Can you name a few that really moved you and maybe thought, I'd like to be that guy? Uh, absolutely. I remember every time I think back to that time, I think of seeing Desperado with Antonio Banderas. Oh, yeah, yeah. And yeah, just thinking like the atmosphere and like the tone of that world was so thick and you know, like Antonio Banderas was such a cool badass and just like this idea of like these secret guitars that could, you know, had all these like surprises in them. I just thought that was awesome. Um, and I remember specifically I went to go see The Matrix with my dad okay. actually as well. That's my father-son movie experience. We had no idea what we were walking into. Because usually, like, especially at that time, like, I was always kind of looking ahead, watching trailers, keeping track. And we didn't have any of that at that time. We just kind of walked in there. And I remember there's that one scene where Neo and Trinity are breaking Morpheus out of the high-rise tower. Right. And they, they swoop in with in a helicopter with a Gatling gun. And, like, they're just these, like gratuitous bullet shots of like bullets coming down from underneath and i just remember like watching that being like this is insane and like that was also like kind of a perfect merger of like gun action with martial arts and sci-fi which i also love i just i just absolutely love that so. Very good answer. I, and I enjoyed um, all of the Matrix as well, too, and seen them in the theater a first time. First, again, big IMAX, one of them, which was really cool, but a uh, fantastic movie. I'm a big sci fi fan as well, like the Star Wars and things like that. It can't get enough yeah. of it. Yeah. Yeah. What are some of your sci fi faves? Some of mine? While Star Wars, I can watch I'm, a million times over, I can pretty much recite the dialogue. Um, mm. I don't know. It's like Blade Runner. I'm a fan of, fan of that as well, too. Oh, man, there's so many. I'm a big fan of the Star Trek. Uh, more so the TV series than the movies and the old TV series. Uh, I'd love to binge watch that again sometime. Just about anything sci-fi I can take. Uh, Close Encounters is something is that I saw that as a kid. Watched that uh, over and over to the point where I wore out the uh, um, the video cassette back in the day. Believe it or not, that shows my age. A VHS tape. E.T. I'm not afraid to uh, say I love that movie. You know, pretty good okay. as well, too. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent movie. No, you're too young to probably remember using a VHS, aren't you? Did you ever have one? I did, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think my sister and I would like watch a lot of Disney movies. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> of that. And uh, yeah, yeah. I think the first movie I saw in the theater was um, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Okay. I, that was terrifying because I was very young. <laughs> I honestly think the Disney movies, those collectors ones that always come in the white cases, were responsible for selling a lot of VHS players because every parent out there was buying those collectibles for their kids, you know, and got to have a VHS player. So, 
Right. That's right. cool. Get them now before they're closed in the vault for I, 20 years. That's right. And then they can back out. We're opening it back up for a remastered version with a new cover and, you know, a little bit more friendly for kids and all this other kind of stuff. Because back in the day, you know, everything was was not PC like it is today. You know what I mean? It was complete opposite. You could get away with so much with artwork and, and little subliminal things. You know, now it's like, oh, boy, we don't dare offend anyone. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Interesting, for sure. Um, so uh, you, you've talked about college, though. That was, was it Yale that you studied at? I did. I studied there for um, the graduate school. Kind of, I got my master's in fine arts there for acting at the, at the drama school there at Yale. Um, undergrad, I was at uh, UPenn in West Philly. Okay. Uh, like, it's almost like two separate like, like lives. Right. Like, because basically, like up until I graduated Penn, that was like uh, I wasn't really immersed in the acting thing. But uh, yeah, man, you know, I was like Meryl Streep was one of my favorite actresses, still is. Um, at that time, though, I you know I her movies were something that I was I guess like watching more frequently, okay. and um, I just you know I there's research on her. I found this amazing like biography on her in the library at Penn and, um, kind of read up about her career trajectory and some little things about her life and how she went to Yale and her time there. And so that kind of cued me into doing research and, you know, to the school and going up there and, um, just meeting some of the amazing teachers and artists and students there. Um, so yeah, yeah, I, I was very lucky to to have my time there. You know, it's funny that you mentioned her because I, I like I like a lot of her movies as well too, but one that I, and this is going to sound funny, but I'll explain why. One of the movies I love of hers is the Julia Child's biography. I forget the name of the show, whatever, but when she portrayed her. And I, Julia and Julia. Yeah, there you go. Okay. Um, be, yeah, because it was the one girl was writing this, the biography or like the blog about her and that was that's what it was because uh, my, my better half here, Sandra Lee, Nocturnal Butterfly, as you know, or in a chat, she's a cook and she's a, been a big fan of hers for life. So I think she got me to watch it, but I loved it. I think she was phenomenal in it. Yeah, 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 she really is incredible. Um, it's kind of like one of the interesting things that I think like what interests me in acting is mm -hmm. I think what she does with her art and her career is like she really explores character transformation. And um, I think that is really, I don't know, for me, it's like really exciting and interesting because you really get to study people and what makes a person a person. It's um, And yeah, in that particular show julia and julia she like she like all of her kind of portrayals or um she really embodies it like with so many layers mm -hmm. um like i was just re-watching clips of her from uh playing uh, margaret thatcher okay and uh god just her her detail is like fantastic so i, I love her for that she really absorbs a part for sure doesn't she yeah yeah it's yeah very very cool uh, there's a question here from Amber in the chat. We're, this is, we're going to jump over to some Walk and Dead related questions. Yeah. Um, now, I'm not sure how many you've worked with per se on the show, but I'm, I'm sure you see them on set. She's asking, are the walkers as scary in person as they are on the show? Yeah, I would. They're scary and surprising. Um, well, yes, I know, because it's like. You'll be like walking around set, maybe you know, and then and then maybe you'll turn a corner, or the walkers will come out, you know, getting ready for their places, and to see them in the flesh, so to speak, like with all the detail. Because I mean, everyone on this production is just like world class in what they do, and the special effects, the makeup, 
is one of the things I think that made this world and this show so successful is, you know, they're asking, I think, really good artist storytelling questions, like what would it really look like if, you know, this person's like flesh died and like, Mm -hmm. what does it look like to rot? And kind of going back to this idea of detail, right? Like they spare no expense and, you know, they, especially for like some of the hero walkers, they've got, which I think, you know, we've all seen from the show, like uh, contact lenses in to make the eyes look really glossed over or, you know, bloodshot or white or yellow mm-hmm. um, and the teeth and the hair and just like all the like the speckling on the face. And um, it's really awesome. Um, but then the funny part is, is then, you know, before it's go time, they're just kind of like chatting. <laughs> the regular people for lunch. You know, uh, and that's like weird to see someone who looks like that just kind of talking to you like, you know, you're, you're just like uh, shoot, you're shooting the breeze um, or just to see them at lunch. You know what I mean? Like like eating that. real food. Yeah. Yeah. Or like having a smoke or something. Yeah. Well, you've been there for, since season six and there's been evolution in every season. So I can imagine what you've seen. You know, they're kind of aging them somewhat you know what i mean so they're a little different and and greg nicotero i mean i from what i know about him which isn't a ton but I, obviously i've been studying him since i've been a fan of the show what a genius what creative genius yep he it's amazing that he you know i see him directing episodes you know we're there together and then sometimes he'll be there maybe he's not doing direct he's not playing point for direction for that episode but he's like he's the man of there for the special effects and it's like it's like oh wait you are a master at this too um yeah it's really impressive and and really inspiring um yeah the the and they you know the detail that they they cast in walkers i remember this is i think a couple seasons ago where the savior has come to the hilltop and they uh have this truck or a little car that they blast or blasting classical music out of okay and like uh jesus and sasha have to come out to like you know uh like kill the walkers that have come into the hilltop at the time and there's this one hero walker that they cast that at least in the script was supposed to be killed bent over backwards over the fountain okay at the hilltop and they they had this amazing contortionist uh actress to like be that kind of special uh kind of a specialty attention walker okay to really achieve the effect you know that she was like brutally killed but also like that that like a decaying body would do that as well so kind of gives it that freaky that is very cool yeah i think that was if i remember correctly would that that'd be the scene where i think maggie was going to use or did use the big green tractor um as well that's right, right? The one, yeah. There you go. Yeah, yeah, and that saves a little bit of work in post as well, too. I'll share a, a movie a movie little thing here, a useless fact for the day, but some people in the chat will appreciate it. And I know a lot of people have seen Dawn of the Dead. Have you seen Have you seen Dawn of the Dead? Uh, which one is that again? Well, that's what Greg Nicotero actually uh, appeared in that one. He was acting in that one. He could have been more than 17, 18 years old, but way back in 1978. But here's the cool thing. I've seen it maybe wow. two, two to five times, maybe somewhere in that neighborhood. And my son is really into the band Gorillaz. Are you familiar with Gorillaz? 
Yeah. Okay. So pretty, you know, good pop band, and he's made me a big fan of them. So there's this one song they do, and he's going to kill me for not knowing the name of it, but I think it's M1A1. And it starts off with this thing where you're hearing, and it sounds it sounds like a British accent, and you're seeing like this guy yelling at what sounds like he's in a megaphone. And to me, it sounded just like Damon Albarn, who's the singer of the band. He's also the singer of Blur. But he's like, hello, hello, uh, you know, something like this. Can you hear me? Whatever. And you hear this like heartbeat kind of thing. But I, and I always said to the boy, I said, you know what that sounds like? That sounds like something from an 80s B movie. And then he was watching a video one day and it was showing all the samples that the gorillas have used. I don't want to say the gorillas, gorillas used in uh, their music. And sure enough, it was taken from Dawn of the Dead, the intro to the movie, right when they're basically they're going down the street, making, trying to call to see if there's any walkers or zombies in the buildings. And so instantly I said, you know what, now we got to watch that movie again. He's already seen it. And just because we put the two and two together, gorillas and then that, it brought in two worlds that was just so cool. It was a real fun That's experience. Really awesome. Yeah, it was cool. And and you got to if you haven't seen it, you got to watch it because number one, um, I know Greg Nicotero always uh, throws um, uh, things back there to you know working with with the talent that was there, like he studied under them, you know, and learned a lot of the techniques to bring to The Walking Dead, and coming mm-hmm. from from that to not only creating some of these visuals that we see now, making you know, directing several episodes, uh, shooting, filming, been a walker himself several times. I mean, talk about a guy with many hats. Yeah. I mean, clearly he's just like, like love, uh, like doing what he loves, right? Like exactly, exactly. Over here in the chat too, we've got another, uh, comment from metal stage uh, center. He says, congrats on the master's degree. Uh, not an easy uh, task for sure. And I, I agree with that. Um, Nocturnal Butterfly says, I'd faint if I turned a corner and ran into one in costume, I tell you. That's the thing. They're so creepy looking that, you know, even though you're probably used to seeing that day in and day out, I'm sure there's a couple times when you come off of a scene or turning a corner and there's uh, an actor in Walker costume, uh, it may throw you for a loop the odd time if you're not focused on <laughs> getting a, away from them. Yeah, it's true because, like, um, you know, again, it's like, like uh, the detail is so great. You could just be coming out of the bathroom or maybe, like, you're in the bathroom and, like, someone's in there. It just feels like, ah, violation, private moment. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but they're, they're really cool people. I remember this one moment, like, uh, like you know, you get to know them over the years and um, the actors who portray them. And so um, we were on set and then, like, a group of walkers had come on to set, but they were in full – walker makeup and prosthetics and like but one of them you know if, if you're on the inside looking out you can't everything looks normal to you right so they're just like oh hey what's up james how you doing i'm like uh hi that's gotta be what's so creepy yeah because it's like i have no idea who you are um but uh so that it's actually like really funny like i'm trying to like figure out some like awesome skit to make out of that because yeah. i think that'd be <laughs> I'd love to see some outtakes and just some behind the scenes, you know, you guys having some fun with your cell phones and stuff like that too with some of the walkers. But I think what's going to be even weirder um, as I, and we'll jump into this a little bit tonight and there's some things we won't go down too far deep into it. Um, but we're talking about the whisperers coming up and we're only a few, well, I got about five weeks away from the return of the show. Getting to see more about the whisperers. Now we're seeing, you know, masks purposely, you know, actors wearing masks to look like walkers you know, so that's going to be a fun, a fun thing as well, too. We've already had some hints at that. Um, have you had a chance in your role so far to see any of them on set? Like, we won't say what you've done with them or anything like that, but have you encountered them on your, in your travels? Um, I feel like, uh, I don't know, maybe I can't really comment exactly on that. Okay. But, um, I, I know what you mean there. 
But I, I've seen what you've seen too. Like okay. the, there's, there's been some amazing promos uh, of some, you know, someone stitching together like yeah. a, a, well, what you, you know, it looks like rotting flesh and they yep. put it on like, like a grotesque mask. And um, yeah, I mean, you, you just like be rest assured that like, you know, Greg and the whole team are, uh, whatever they create, it's gonna be amazing. Um, and, uh, they've got some very talented people on it, you know, embodying as well. So it'd be interesting to see, it's going to be a, definitely a big, a big back half for sure. It seems like it's, you know, we wait so long for these season premieres and then they go by like that. Next thing you know, we're, we're now we're counting on these last few weeks before the back half of season nine and it's going to be over before we know it, but hopefully we can take this last half slow, as slow as possible. I don't think it's, I don't think we're going to be playing with the waiting game with the last half of the season. I feel it's going to go, going to fly pretty fast pacing wise. I feel. Um, I guess. Yeah. I mean, the thing that was awesome about the first half was like how much change there was, you know, yeah, huge. Uh, right. And, uh, time jumps and things like that. So, um, yeah, it's like a whole new world. <laughs> it, it certainly is. Speaking of which, too, with some of the actors that we will talk a little bit about the departure of Andrew Lincoln uh, later on in the program as well, too, and see how that, you know, affected you, uh, you know, maybe him being a bit of a role model to you and other people on the set. Um, and we'll talk about other departures, too, with uh, maybe this is temporary with Lauren Cohen. There's rumors that she's coming back and things like that. Uh, we don't have to address the rumors or anything, but you were actually in her last scene on the show, too, right? Was that the very last one where you were riding in the wagon um, and encountered by the Savior? So that was her last scene, wasn't it? Uh, uh, she was in other scenes after that. Okay, that was that must have been. I feel bad. I don't know that. That must have been episode two or three of yours with her. I have to go back. Yeah, no, no worries. Yeah, because she um after that she uh comes to Alexandria for the first time in a while. She's like, you know, time's up. Like Negan's gonna get it. Um, in like episode like six or something like that or f- but um or but yeah no i mean lauren lauren's incredible incredible human incredible actress incredible like leader um she's so well seasoned as an actress but also just like on that show in particular she knows everyone and you know is absolutely a role model um and i'm so happy for her with her latest show i hope she does really well and i, I would love it if she you know would be able to do to both you know well, fingers crossed we might see her back for season 10. Hopefully it would be nice. Mm. Question for you. Um, sometimes this happens with some, some of the um, actors and actresses that, you know, get the gig on the show. Some of them, and it could be yourself, I don't know this, but some of them are diehard fans, just like we are watching the show and like, oh man, I love the show. You know, oh, now I'm an actor on the show. Um, some people know the show. Some people don't. Uh, Vincent M. Ward, who played Oscar on the show, had him back a while on the show, probably about a month or two, about a month ago. And he actually got the gig and he didn't even know anything about it. He's on the set and he's talking to other people and they're like, what's this Walking Dead thing all about? Didn't know anything about it. How about you? Where do you fit in in that scope? Were you a fan and got the gig and maybe even share how the gig come about? Uh, yeah, 100%. I, I knew of the show, you know, it's like a worldwide phenomenon, but I hadn't like gotten into watching it yet. Um, or I guess this was around the time, uh, I guess at that time, season five had finished airing. So I had gotten this appointment to audition. And um, uh, I didn't know, yeah, again, I didn't know much about the show. I didn't really have much time to do much, to, 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 a lot of research on it. 
But um, but yeah, you know, I just kind of sent in my submission, and um, I they I'll tell you one thing, like um, that was actually kind of an interesting experience because like I. Uh, directly from Scott Gimple was told via my agent, you know, like, yeah, this is great. Like he gave me some adjustments. Mm -hmm. So like I had kind of set the tape back and forth like two, maybe three times. Finally got like slightly adjusted sides. And then I was told I I booked that role. And, you know, there's a lot of secrecy around the show because, you know, diehard fans, Mm -hmm. like who can't blame them. It's like an awesome, awesome, awesome story. Um, and, uh, so I didn't realize till I got on set for my costume fitting that the person I was there to, that I thought I was there to play is actually not who was there, I was there to play. That usually happens. I like, yeah, I was like, yeah, I'm here to play, I'm playing Josh. And they're like, no, 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 you're playing Cal. I'm like, no, no, it's Josh. And they're like, no, trust me, you're playing Cal. And they had this like, like two poster boards full of like stills from the graphic novel of Cal, like just getting every detail, like the haircut, the clothes and the texture, right? So um, that was like, you know, that was my kind of a a crash course introduction to the show. Um, So I was like immediately trying to like read up uh, Cal's presence in, in the graphic novels and stuff. Well, you got some martial arts background, like you were saying, you studied martial arts, Cal is a martial arts, uh, artsman or, or whatever. Yeah, 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 100%. He definitely is, like, skilled in the fighting arts and um, is an experienced warrior, protector. Um, You know, it's so funny, kind of funny, but just, like, kind of awesome, like, wrapping your head around things, all things apocalypse, because it almost, like, devolves back into, like, medieval times, like, guild era, and, like, it makes me think of, like, those video games where there's, like, different classes, like... You know, like uh, uh, warriors or like magicians or things like that, and I feel like there are, especially at the hilltop where there's like I feel like um, a lot of delegated roles for a big community like that. Like I just feel like Cal is like very, very like entrenched in like the warrior class and just that skill set and that's that's kind of he, he, almost like he, it's his professional job, you know. Well, the good thing is as well, too, good for you so far anyway, is the fact that um, people that do read the comics, Cal uh, let, let a bit of a shorter life than what the TV show does, which is nice for you as an actor and, you know, potentially a fan of the show as well now, too. It's nice to have a little bit of an investment in the show. So, you know, feathers, uh, hats off to you on that one and fingers crossed that we can see you survive a little while. Season six through nine, not too bad. You certainly can't complain with that. Yeah. Too bad, not complaining. Yeah, that's right, that's right. And I see a lot of the, the actors too that um, that you know do exit the show uh, in a death or whatever. You know, they're still fans of the show, and you see them rooting from the you know the couches, just like we do the armchair quarterbacks. Even though they're they're not invested in the show anymore, that's how much they love it. So it does seem like a big family there. Oh my god, so much! Like in front of behind the camera, it takes so many people to make that incredible production, like day after day, episode after episode, year after year. Um, some, many of the people there have been there from the very beginning and um, they're just absolutely wonderful people to work with, um, every department. And uh, and I think it shows, you know, I don't think you could you could make a show that good for that long if you really didn't like, if you, yeah, if you just didn't have a great like gelling of people together. I agree, that, that's very well said. Uh, two questions here, one from Nocturnal Butterfly. She says, uh, who is, uh, James' favorite actor or actress, actor, and his favorite character on the show. 
if it's different. So maybe mm-hmm. you could have a favorite actor that's outside of The Walking Dead. And who's some of your favorites? Maybe just maybe it's a fun, uh, you know, bonding moment or buddy or whatever on the show. And maybe answer to both of those. Oh, for sure, man. It's like it's hard to like name a favorite actor actress i guess actor actress either she asked i mean like it's funny um just before we got on i was watching sandra o's acceptance speech for the golden globes last night yeah and um right right now she's like definitely like i can't stop thinking about her because of what that achievement meant to asian american actors and to just asian americans in general uh huge milestone like i love her not of course as an amazing actress but just kind of as a as a role model as um someone who represents us really well and speaks up about representation and diversity and in in really productive ways um uh, also, like I'll throw in, like I, I've always loved um, Kate Blanchett. Okay. I just think she's incredible. I've had the chance to see her live on stage before, before, and um, like as an actor, I just think she's an incredible artist. I just I love watching. She's so talented, you know. Like every every like every like joint of her body is like committed and like inspired in the performance. That's really awesome. Um, and yeah, like on the show, oh man, um, God, so many of us. Uh, um, let's see. Uh, this is like in no particular order, or mm-hmm. this, you know, or anything like that. But like, you know, like, um, like Peter Zimmerman and I. He, Peter plays Eduardo. Yep. He's at the hilltop. He he and I have spent a lot of uh, long long days and nights together as guards and warriors of the hilltop, <laughs> either like atop those hilltop rampart gates in the blazing georgia sun which is just unforgiving um or you know like three four or five in the morning for a night shoot yes running around jumping out of windows (laughs) he's a musician too right yeah yeah he's a great uh like rapper and like kind of hip hop performance artists the only reason why i know that i mean i i don't follow him as closely as i do your career but this is so weird how I discovered it. Well, Brandon Davis from comicbook.com, he directed, a, I think it was a very, his first time ever directing a video, but he directed his rap video. Oh, is that right? That's cool, yeah. yeah. Small, small world. He's got a lot of things going on. Yeah, he's a hustler, man. He's, uh, he's, he's putting the material out there, which is great. So he's your wall gatekeeper buddy. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. But there's so many of us, you know, like we're all there, like uh, just kind of like surviving that's right that's right there's a, a second question here from lost smoke in the chat says uh was the agent essential in you getting commercials or was there a way you were able to do that on your own his name is chris i guess so was getting, the agent uh essential in getting uh, commercials have you done some commercials and uh, is there a way or, or did you do that on your own kind of thing uh i got it all through my agent okay. um i'm trying to think like i haven't I haven't gotten an appointment on my own, maybe like, not, not since in like over 10 years, maybe 15 years, but like, uh, there is certainly a lot of work that can come that way. Mm-hmm. Um, in the, in like in the past few years, I've gotten referrals from friends who are doing like maybe more print stuff. Like they do more of like, they're more, uh, kind of lifestyle print things. Like they might need someone, uh, if it's my, my look and um yeah i'll kind of just get a shout out to see if i'm free to come in for one of those castings but um but yeah i feel like uh agent is a very essential tool in the biz uh if you want to operate 
uh, at a certain level. Um, yeah. Well, instead of you making all the phone calls and the emails and all that back in the day when it used to be faxes to people, you know, is yeah. you can be working on what you're doing, whether it be a gig here or there, and pick up the phone and say, yes, I can do it, or no, I can't, or well, here's how much it is, yes, I can do it, blah, blah, blah. But it's less uh, manual labor for yourself while you're doing what you do best. It's true. It's true. I mean, like, you know, agents and managers, too, it's like, a, that's like a, that's like their bread and butter in the sense of that's what they're doing day in, day out, mm-hmm. like. You know, even when they're off the clock, I think it's all about kind of communicating with the, the different players in the field about fig- figuring out like what is coming down the pike as far as auditions and even projects, tracking those projects, um, following up on those people after maybe they after they've secured an appointment and then you've done your work, you've gone, gone into the room and then it's kind of like making sure that you're on top of mind, that sort of thing. It's a very... Uh, yeah, it's weird. It's like it's not a glorifying, like not a glorifying job either. <laughs> they, they do a lot of legwork for yeah. sure. Um, a lot, a lot of, a lot of, yeah, like staying on top of things. Yeah. I think it's, uh, yeah, teamwork. Same teamwork thing with the PR, even with the uh, you know the publicity people as well. Just like your team there, I I really appreciate it when I come across someone who actually gets it and cares. You know, because I'm a small time you know podcast. And the biggest portion of what it takes me to get ready for a show is, number one, getting a hold of publicists, managers, agents, whatever. Every once in a while, you know, you're lucky to speak to someone in public at a convention or something like that when it comes to the music things, uh, music side of things. But I'm spending countless hours on that kind of thing. And then once I physically get it booked, then it's planning the itinerary for a show. So I really appreciate good publicists and, and agencies like yours when you come across it because, you, you, you know, you got to stay so top of mind or you're swept under the rug. And, you know, I've been chasing a couple of people for two years and you, you, you almost say, you know what, I'm going to give up. But then you give up and all that time was wasted. So you can't give up. Yeah, it's true. It's like uh, I feel like every every knock on the door is like brings you a step closer. That's right. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm very, I'm very lucky to have uh, some great people that, that, I, that I can work with yeah. over the years. Here is a, here's a funny question. I, I tried not to laugh. It's a good question, but it was, it's a funny question. Um, where is it again? Uh, James Denton says, have you got interaction interactions with dog? Daryl's uh, new buddy. <laughs> <laughs> not yet, but I, I agree. I love that Daryl calls his dog dog. I know. Uh, it's like naming your baby baby. No. Um, now uh, that is, I haven't, I, but that's like the coolest dog. I know. I um I I would think that he did Norman Reedus actually name him or was he was he provided? I know that's not his real name because he has he has another name, but did he name him that on the set or is it given to him somewhere else? Oh man, uh, I think those were our writers. Okay, having having Daryl call his dog dog. It feels like a very. I mean, I, I could be wrong. It uh, seems like I'll a Daryl thing. It does, right? Like I have to ask Norm the next time I see him. But um, uh, yeah, yeah, it's like uh, that. Seems like that's kind of that's a, that's something Daryl would do. That's that's pretty cool, and we'll see more of them for sure. Obviously, in in the back half of nine, and there's, there's already petitions out there too. If uh, if dog dies, you know, it used to be if Daryl dies, we riot. Now now the dog dog has his own petition out there to save him. Is that true? Don't yeah. kill dogs. Yeah, there's there's some petitions out there. So the the fandom out there and the Walking Dead family now the Walking Dead dog family uh, is pretty strong. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Animals, man, they, they they hit right to the heart. Like, they they do. Sheep. 
And it, and it's kind of a you new it's a new twist on the show. Like I I really feel like a lot of us obviously do, and you do, I'm sure, as an actor, it does feel like a new show. And, and maybe we'll jump a little ahead of ourselves. Well, one of the questions I had later on in the program was to talk about Angela Kang now, um, picking up the reins of showrunner. First of all, I've I've loved her as a writer. She's been involved in. I'm going to estimate around 25 to 30 different shows. I've, I've watched the IMDb. I watch all the Wikipedia to see when she's written some good ones. And as I told you off the air, I was a big fan of the earlier seasons. Um, well, first first four, we'll say, were my favorites. And the first two, second, third, and fourth, well, second and third for sure, Glenn Mazzara was at the helm as a showrunner, taking over for Frank Darabont. And I really liked his writing. I'm a friend with them of his and you know i get biased right like when your friend leaves a show you tend to like oh this is a drag and you know when angela was you know announced as a new showrunner i was like this is going to be great and how has it felt for you and maybe some of the other uh, staff of the show you know changing the the family element a little bit and bringing in some not necessarily new blood but new leadership blood how has it um been working with her it's been awesome. Yeah, Angela's fantastic. You know, she's. Um, I think. I think uh, one thing I've been kind of noticing in like the scripts, and probably you've seen it as well this season, season nine, is. Um, I mean, obviously, like there's like kind of those like logistical plot things to get through of like, uh, you know, Rick's like taking a hiatus from the world for a bit, but uh, a lot of the scenes are they're developing like a lot of two person scenes. It almost feels like. Uh, it's like very relationship based mm-hmm. which I mean it's always been a relationship based uh, show you know it deals a lot with like family and trust and um, kind of like the like a foster kind of a family that you create through circumstance um, but I feel like there's just been that much more focus on things this year because there's been a lot of change you know like those first few scenes the first few episodes this season it's like people are kind of calling into question the decisions Rick made at the end of season eight um you know to to not kill Negan and like patience is patience is kind of um wearing thin and people have different ideas about how to move forward like after the saga that culminated in season eight people are like now what is the best thing to do um and so uh, I think it's been really awesome to see a lot of those two-person scenes come out, like Lauren uh, or Maggie and Rick, Maggie and Daryl, mm-hmm. Daryl and Rick, you know, like people who were maybe like your, um, like, like, you know, got your back 100% on your side all the time, like, um, you know, what you do, like, I'll support you whatever you do. Mm-hmm. Now it's like that kind of I guess with the threat of Negan kind of like not so primary and anymore like surviving on a day-to-day basis not as like well at least not having like the saviors trying to kill you every moment like kind of like there's a little more room to breathe and think and have your personal kind of um agendas I guess come to the forefront and like express your personality about how how you would what do you feel like is a just way to handle this situation to deal with someone like Negan, have a prisoner of war like that? I agree with you hundred percent. You really feel it. And this, like you said, how, Oh yeah, I got your back. Whatever you, whatever you say, boss, we'll all follow you, whatever. And now you're seeing the complete opposite. You know, Carol was someone, you know, would always pretty much agree. Uh, Daryl, especially whatever you want to do, Rick, I got you. Maggie, same thing. 
you know, and Rick's like saying to Daryl, um, we're on the same team here, man. And it's like, are we, are we really on the same team? And you're, right. you're feeling that friction and you, you can start to feel the glue coming apart. Uh, you know, even though Rick doesn't necessarily always want to be that leader, whether he wants to be or not, he was going to, he was in that position. Um, and he was the, the foundation around him was coming apart because the people he could always count on the Maggie's and the Daryl's, the Carol's are starting to question, you know, almost everything, even though he's trying to do things to, you know, honor Carl, um, it, a lot of those decisions, you know, keeping, you know, not executing all the saviors, you know, it sounds like a harsh thing to do. And, and if you're looking at this from the outside of the box, you know, a lot of people say, well, if you're looking at this, you don't know Negan and you're seeing Rick for the first time, he could be the Negan, this villain. You don't know why he's doing it, but he's, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of a oxymoron, um, you know, catch 22, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't, you're going to be the bad guy if you kill these people, but if you don't kill the people, you know, look where you're left at. But yeah, it, I like the dialogue you're talking about between two people. You're seeing real, like, uh, commanding performances from two actors at a time. And something I shared with you off the air, and I think it's coming back a lot now, too, is that's how I got into this whole Rocking Dead thing years ago was studying the music of The Walking Dead. And I found yeah. those first few seasons um, of The Walking Dead, music was paramount. And this was before they really started using band songs and uh, I just did a video the other day, actually. It's um, a news story that was shared all over the internet. And, and I just used some of the ideas from the, the news story, Slash, from Guns N' Roses and you know his own solo thing. He submitted some music back to The Walking Dead at a, umpteen years ago, whatever. Uh, I don't know how long ago it was, but it was rejected. And the reason why it was rejected is because one of the cool things about The Walking Dead is it doesn't want to date itself. You know, it doesn't want to lock itself into a time period. So, you know, we can watch this show 20 years from now and still feel like this is a cool period of time, whatever the time may be. Now, sure, you know, you're not dating it with like, you know, old computers. Like, you know, you look at a computer, you know, it's like a 1987 or something. But outside right. of that, it's it's kind of timeless. And they they don't really date the thing. But the music now is coming back, I find, from the first few seasons where it's, kind of ominous it's it's a it's a an actor in the in the show just as much as some of you guys and girls on the screen it's really emotional yeah yeah absolutely I, I i totally agree with that and that's a really good point about like not dating uh the show which i guess is kind of it makes sense right not only because like yeah we want this series to stand the test of time for other generations who don't watch it when it was aired but also just like that idea of the apocalypse like once the apocalypse happened that kind of like becomes kind of timeless because mm -hmm. like technology goes away and all you can really do is like count the days by the sun and make your own little calendar and like who's making all, all those pop references are almost like pre-apocalypse mm -hmm. things so anything done or experienced now it would be like uh like i don't know post society exactly um yeah yeah uh that's cool i mean another thing i was going to say before as far as like what i love about the relationships and how kind of like old loyalties are breaking down is at the same time there are new ones forming that are really awesome to track and to watch like um what's happening with carol and ezekiel and the kingdom and they've kind of got henry as they do have henry as a son mm -hmm. idea of a family you know trying to make a family despite everything else that's happened um you know between like a, a, a having a, a husband and a wife and a kid and a, and a son who you know is 
like more of a foster son, and yet they call each other mom and dad, and the kingdom is their home. Like I just find that like a really awesome idea of trying to like anchor yourself in kind of like one of those like immortal human nature relationships. You know, you want to have like a mother and a father, and um, like those scenes where Ezekiel like has to discipline Henry for. Uh, going against his wishes, or Ezekiel has to like lay down the law as a father and things like that. That's like really cool to watch because you don't. I don't feel. I don't feel like we ever had. We didn't really see a lot of that. Not since like, not since like season the first early seasons where you had those original family units like uh, Carol and her daughter Sophia, mm-hmm. or um, or uh, yeah, other, or Rick like and Lauren um, Carl. Carl, exactly. Yep. Um, yeah. Okay. I guess that was always like the long-standing one, but that was. Uh, it's cool to see it with, um, like, you know, Ezekiel and uh, and Henry, because it's like a very, it's a, a way that we haven't seen them before, you know, and you that's can, really cool. You can tell that Ezekiel wants to be the cool dad, but he has to lay down the law too. You know, it's got to be so hard for him now. He has a son, which is probably like the ultimate cool for him. But and Carol's had a, a child and lost, so I, I'm, you know, I don't know the full story if Ezekiel had Ezekiel had a child before. Um, but now he's got to be dad and you can't be best friend anymore. But it's so funny. I don't know what you're saying. Like you're seeing real world reality. Like Henry goes to walk off and Carol's like, you know, it's almost like, hey, don't, I don't get a kiss before school, you know, and he has to come back, give her a kiss. You know, it's it's awesome to see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is really cool. It, um, you know, you were talking about, we were talking just for a second on the dating too, the dating aspect of the show um, by, I mean, t- time periods, I mean, not dating as in, you know, going out on a date. Um, but they're really cool, even with sets when it comes to cars. Now, I know there's people who argue this. There's some modern cars, of course, um, but you're not seeing like an Escalade, you know, rotting out off on the side. You're not seeing any, the, you know, they're, they're very careful. The, the people might say, well, that's a fairly modern car, but you can't really say that's a 2017. So I, I really like how they do that. Yeah, yeah. They do such a good job with like de-stressing these cars and making them look like they, they've just been out there rusting for, you know, years um, which I think, uh, it just feels like very true to life. Like everything is kind of abandoned, has this abandoned look to it. That's right. And, uh, and they've done some also some like kind of new twists with cars this season. Like you've seen in the first uh, half of season nine where they're like, you know, there's like this idea that there's been a couple of the passage of several years between mm-hmm. season, I guess the end of season eight and where we are at the mid season right now. And like, time is passing and like they just need more vehicles and it's like how do people like that you know um repurpose sort those sorts of things how do they combine what they have together to get what they need and so they've got like um like some of the carriages that we uh, horse-drawn carriages that we have are like horse or, or mule drawn but they're like the chassis of a pickup truck or something yeah yeah it's it's so almost like not Mad Max, of course, but kind of a, a couple steps before, right? Right, right. I, yeah. I like that. Yeah, repurposing is, is a good word for it. I, that's very, very cool. And the fact, too, I love how it's almost like, okay, now we're starting completely over. It's all a lot of the manual stuff, the old, you know, uh, cow and horse pulled plows, things like that, you know, it's a, and it works, right? We got spoiled with technology over the years with mass producing and all these the machinery that, in some cases... Uh, well, in all cases, for for the real world, it takes fuel, and fuel is becoming a dying commodity. It's uh, harder right. to get. 
So yeah, it's it's cool to see all these things, the restarting over, the rebuilding, and uh, Angela Kane coming in. That's another play on words too, because it's a new start of a, sh- a new show again. So it does really feel like it's reinventing the show. Almost, I don't want to say resetting the show, but it does feel like a reinvention of the of the show. And a lot of people were kind of scared with that. You know, every time they change a showrunner, what are we in for, right? But it's not like she was just brought in out of left field. She's two things, I think. She's um, a super fan. Probably she could challenge any of us on our fandom, I would say, and probably win in spades as much as we all think we're super fans. And number two, she's been there for some of the best shows, and she's studied under uh, Scott Gimple and Glamazara. And and I don't even know if she was there when Frank Darabont was there. I don't think so. But, uh, yeah, so there's no questioning what she can do with the show. 100%. 100%. Yeah, yeah. And there's been like kind of a continuous kind of, um, uh, I guess, like c- c- lineage and communication because like Scott is still very much involved with the show as mm-hmm. far as I know. Yep. Um, you know, he's kind of like he oversees both uh, series now. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, it's cool. They've, they've got – there's a lot to keep track of uh, in these two worlds that I guess are kind of like bleeding into each other more, these crossovers and stuff. And with movies coming now, too, I mean, for what they're talking about now, obviously, if there's movies, they're talking, they, they kind of toyed with this term digital property. So it's, I'm assuming that's going to be video games and all kinds of other things like that as well, too. So I think the universe is about to uh, really, really expand more so than we've ever seen. Yeah. Yeah, it's cool. It's really cool. Um, it's, it almost feels like a... Like one of those video games you could play, like uh, like one of those MMORP, more like like World of Warcraft or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a role play type thing. Yeah. Like yeah. Every time I play one of those, I'm like, I'm like chatting with the other players that I run into <laughs> there, and I'm like, you guys, this game is insane. Like, it never ends. Like, it's so big. Like, and it really is like a universe. And uh, and they keep adding these expansions and it gets bigger and bigger and like more detail. And I kind of feel like that's kind of what's happening with Walking Dead. It's like it's becoming bigger and bigger and like we're going forward in time and there's flashbacks and it's like starting another whole saga with this world and then they're like merging and then like you've got all these other stories. So it's kind of like, it's cool to see more and more of it like take shape. Growth, yeah. yeah. Oh, for, for sure it is. Before I get into this next question, this is a really, really good uh, question from, from Amber, and there's already some debate on the question as well. And I always get in trouble when I ask this question as well, or not when I ask a question, I bring up this theory. I'll talk about that in a quick second. But you mentioned video games. Have you ever played the Telltale Walking Dead video games? I have been. To, um, is, is Telltale the uh, studio that, that makes them? Yeah, no, they, ha- they ran into some trouble. I'm not sure what the whole thing was, financial trouble, and they looked like they were going to do the final season. And Clementine is the girl. Uh, you might, you might, she might be like the Carl, maybe, or she might be the Judith Grimes, but more so she's like the Carl, and she's kind of the central character that's gone from, uh, from a very, very young child um, in the games, you know, led by different people, and she loses her loved ones, and she kind of fights for herself throughout the thing. And it looked like it wasn't going to ever happen, and so we weren't even going to be told the end of the story. Now, Robert Kirkman's uh, people ended up picking up the game, and now it's coming out. I think there's actually a trailer coming out next Tuesday on it, which I can't wait to see. It's going to be the final chapter. But what I, I think you should try it and get them. They come in several seasons, and they're kind of an animated thing where you don't have to be good at video games. It's just basically there's dialogue, and there's a million different case scenarios. So, okay, so person talks to person B, and you have to press 
X, Y, you know, whatever to be to choose your scenario. And, you know, depending on your choice will really, uh, uh, you know, affect the outcome. So you might choose to let someone die this time and it has a huge, huge consequence later. You should try it. It's a lot of fun. I think you'd you'd love it. It's no brainer. You can sit there with a coffee and just bang out in one hour. Like, well, not an hour, but you can you can beat a whole game in an evening. And there's four or five hours. Awesome. Yeah. No, I love that idea. I just finished watching um, Bandersnatch on Netflix. Have you okay. seen that? No, I have not. It's, it's like the exact same thing. It's like they brought this idea of like choose your own adventure from video games into uh, like a movie, so you can watch it many times and make many different decisions. Um, and uh, no, I love that idea. Like it's, it just makes it so much more immersive. Like you just feel like you're a character in it. Like your your actual decisions have ramifications. Um, no, I love that sort of thing. And I also just love the like uh the, like the the feel and the rules of animation and yeah. like animated storytelling um it just it's real it's like that merge between like cartoon and real world and like fantasy and imagination like you feel like a lot of things can happen there yeah, there's so many things you can get away with in the animated world that you you can't do in real life. Like, uh, this is a complete twist, uh, you know, off off course here, but an animated thing I like a lot, thanks to the boy, the boy gets me to all these things, is Rick and Morty. Love it to death. You know, <laughs> certainly not, you know, I, I might lose a couple parent points for letting him watch that, but he's 12. I mean, what hasn't he seen or heard these days? But Rick and Morty, I, I love it to death. And, and watching the uncensored versions is even better because, you know, the, the you know, the F-bombs that'll come out from Rick, you know, and even all the cast members sometimes. Have you seen the show? I've only seen the highlights of Pickle Rick. Okay. Like, everyone was going nuts about that. And yeah. I'm just like, this is so creative. It's incredible. It, it's absolutely hilarious. Okay, so let's jump over to some questions. Uh, Amber Gray uh, is asking if uh, she has two questions. Are you uh, are you in the second half of The Walking Dead? Now, that may be something you can't comment on, and that we won't take that as a, as a, the life of Cal. Is, is that something you can comment on? Uh, it's not, but um, okay, that's fine. You know, I, I wish I wish you luck in in watching the second half. <laughs> no problem, that's okay. And here's a, another question as well, which you may not be able to comment on, but I'm gonna I'm gonna preface it. This is from Amber as well. Um, I I've been talking about this theory, and I share this theory with a few people. Um, that about RJ, uh, uh, Rick and and uh, Michonne's child. And I've talked about this theory, and here again, this is just fan. This is just this is James talking as a fan, and we won't hold you to anything. You can comment on this as a fan, or you can say no comment. So we're seeing these scars uh, from uh, Michonne and Daryl, these X scars on the lower uh, part of the back. And what a lot of the theories are is, um, you know, there's some torture involved somewhere along the lines, which we're going to probably see in the next half. Uh, and I don't, I'm not asking for comment on that. Um, but so when we saw uh, baby RJ. Um, in, in Michonne's house there, Michonne and Rick's, Rick's no longer there, but the house, that everyone said, okay, well, he's real. We just saw him. And, um, um, you know, Magna saw him as well, too. But did she? And that's where, pe- that's where people get really mad at me when I say that. They said, well, Magna saw him, so he's not a figment of her imagination. And I said, yeah, but the camera angles made it look like they're making us think that Magna saw RJ. I'm thinking that um, uh, RJ, and a lot of people are thinking that he's not real. I mean, yes, real, but possibly lost uh, during whatever this thing was. Now, first of all, if you're able to comment, cool, and don't and don't I don't want any spoiler, don't want to give it away. But if maybe a fan, if as a fan, you can say what are your thoughts on it, or just choose not to comment. No, that's crazy. I've never heard of that before. Okay, uh, that is a uh, that's like some sixth sense level <laughs> sleuthing. There. I see dead people. Theories. Yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, man, I uh, I have no idea. Obviously, I just I I uh, I let I love that idea. Okay, I think that makes it like totally psychologically thriller creepy, um, which would be exciting as hell. Um, uh, yeah, I don't I, I don't know. I like it. I like it. I, I I would be a supporter of it of that theory. Okay, is that the theory? Yeah, I'm I'm with you on that. That's exciting. I won't take credit for the full theory. It, it is a theory I've shared, um, but I, I, I don't know who originated it. I got a buddy over in England. He talked about it a, a lot as well, too. Um, but yeah, it's a cool theory. And I think we'll see that because we saw some trailers of the back half and we see Michonne with her um, with her hair the way she had it before. And I think that's another really cool thing. The way you know we saw her hair up until today, basically, the way her hair was. And then we see a flashback with her hair the old way. So that really puts you, lets you know you're back in time again. And she's just losing, you know, pardon my language, because she's losing her shit on somebody and raging. And I'm thinking there is that moment where that had something to do with RJ. We'll, we'll see coming up. But it's cool. It's a, it's a cool theory. And I'm glad you could comment on it. Um, here's two other questions, uh, from our Paris 34 says, uh, were there any scenes that James filmed that didn't make an episode that may be released as a deleted scene somewhere? Maybe like in some DVDs or things like anything, you know, of that maybe didn't make it that may see the light of day later. Oh man. Um, not that I know of. I mean, there was that, actually that same episode that we were talking about earlier where Maggie, uh, rescues the community from that car blasting music by running it over with a tractor like yeah uh there were some um this cool moment that never made it into the final cut where eduardo and i like throw a ladder over the uh the uh, barrington house balcony okay um which uh which never made it to the final cut but was like really awesome to see uh just so yeah, who knows? That that was that was like a really cool dramatic moment. But like, I mean, there's a lot going on there, and like, definitely the focus is on Jesus trying to like get down as quickly as possible. Um, but uh, but yeah, there was kind of that moment where like Maggie is calling out from the top of the FEMA trailer to the three of us to like me, Eduardo, and Jesus about like calling shot, like you know, coordinating what the what the battle plan is for this moment. Um, so that was like a cool moment that I, uh, yeah, that'd be cool to see. See, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was pretty dramatic, and, and it worked perfectly. Oh, that's a, that's a bummer too. But that's the thing we we'll look forward to the Blu-rays and things like that too. And sometimes they put certain webisodes out there and things like that as well too. So maybe we'll see some some footage that way. It's always great to see those things. I know as fans of the show, especially when the show's off the air and we're waiting for these you know these lulls to get back to the pickup, whatever. Or even if the season's done, we're waiting for Fear the Walking Dead to start or something like that. We as fans are craving all the content we can get. So I know if right. they can feed us some of those little things, it'd be a lot of happy people for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I'd be it'd be cool to see something like that. Um, I don't know if this made it into that episode. I don't think I don't remember seeing it, but like, it's the one where um, like it's like a montage where Tara is kind of doing inventory around the hilltop. This is like in the first half of season nine, and like yeah, remember that she's kind of talking with people, right? And then like I'm teaching uh, two of the new teenagers, um, Addie and uh, Luke. Yep, some martial arts. Yeah, so they're like helping them perfect their staff routine there, and like well, there was like this cool shot that we did with like a a drone uh, where we're kind of going into more complex martial arts like staff sequence stuff, part of a like kind of a field wide bird's eye view. Oh, that'd be cool. That, 
I don't yeah. remember if I saw that or not. Maybe some fans in the chat can comment if they remember that, because I do forget that. I'll have to go back and see again, but I can picture that. That'd be really awesome. A really, really cool establishing shot of what Cal does. And I think that leads right into the next question. Uh, Ken Wong says, um, not much has been revealed about Cal uh, pre-apocalypse. Uh, now, I'm not sure if Ken reads the comics or not, but even in the comics, not a ton. Uh, do you have any backstory? So can you kind of give us, as we'd say in Canada, Cole's notes, or I think you call it in the United States, cliff notes. Um, can you give us a cliff note kind of who, who Cal is, again, for, for some people that don't know? Oh, well, I mean, in this series, he's, um, you know, obviously he's like one of the, like, the vigilant guards of the hilltop. I, I mean, you're right. There's very little said about his life beforehand. And um, I mean, I kind of don't like to... I have my ideas, but I don't want to like pinpoint it too uh, too too much. I like everyone to have like their own idea based off of what they've seen. Um, I also kind of don't want to like paint myself into a corner. Should like that be explored further down the line? But I mean, I I uh, I like to think that like you know, obviously he's someone who's fiercely loyal. But I think his time at the hilltop, hanging out with Jesus, um, I think is. He's, he's picked up a few things as far as how to be effective hand-to-hand and with weapons. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I would like to think like he brought some of that with him to the table to begin with ahead of time. And someone like Cal in the show uh, specializing with hand-to-hand combat can be a real asset for the sole fact that uh, you know, Daryl great with a crossbow and things like that too. And there's been other hand to hand weapons now with slingshots, which I think is awesome. I think that's totally awesome. Um, for the sole fact that it's not alerting, you know, it's not, uh, whether it be walkers or whisperers or whoever, or human beings that you're trying to take out, um, you know, you need that sense of silence and that can be great martial arts, uh, knives, sticks, whatever you can throw at them. Right. Oh yeah. hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. That idea of like stealth kill for, your enemy who's like only activated by noise That's is right. uh, pretty awesome. The stealth kill works yeah. really good in the video games as well too. So I got to bring it over to the walking dead. Right. Right. Yeah. Totally. Totally. I made yeah. a note. I made a note here and I do have to read some of it because I, I didn't want to forget this and I wanted to make sure I was accurate. Um, so the, when I was going to have you back on the show back in December, I went back and started binge watching, um, season six again from six all the way through. And it was towards the end of season six where you were, you know, Cal made his first appearance, your first appearance on the show, season six, episode 11. And I, I, the reason why I made notes on this, I thought that was such a powerful episode for many of you, including number one, first of all, your introduction uh, to the walking dead. Um, you know, uh, Xander Berkeley, Gregory and Xander, uh, I mean, great back, a uh, great, uh, credits that he has to his, uh, his resume, but he comes in right up right away. You hate this guy with every fiber of your being, which goes to show you how good of an actor he is. Um, good. the roles of Jesus and Maggie, Maggie was not the Maggie that we know. She was just starting to show this possible leadership of the, uh, of the hilltop. And then, you know, Jesus, of course, I mean, what can we say about Jesus? I mean, probably one of the more underutilized great actors on the show. And, you know, that's been public by everybody. He's even said it himself. Um, But what a powerful, powerful way for you to come in at a great time. I mean, it was just timing, but you came in at a really hot spot. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you agree? Yeah, a hundred percent. Like we get to see this whole new world. I mean, like Jesus even says that, like your world is about to get a lot bigger. And um, something that's really cool about, it's almost like uh, the hilltop, Everything you just said, like all those characters, the transition of Ma- like Maggie's first entrance into a place that she's going to like take over, uh, the introduction of Jesus, um, who 
I mean, in addition to having an amazing name, it's yeah. just an amazing kind of like character. Oh, like the Jesus jokes were just like nonstop <laughs> on set. Anything, if like Tom is even in earshot, if anything goes wrong, it's like, Jesus, what are you doing? Um, what did I do now, but, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah right? Um, but, uh, but no, I totally agree. I feel like super lucky to have been brought, like introduced at the moment that, um, that you saw the hilltop because that set itself is like super impressive. You know, it's, it's all practical. You actually have to climb up on those ramparts. Those doors are actually like 20 feet high. You have to actually open them and close them with your own hands. Um, the forge in there, it's a real forge. Like it's a blacksmith can use it. Like there's are actual tomato plants growing in there. Uh, you can walk inside all of those FEMA trailers. Um, you can climb, like we're actually climbing out of that window, like at Barrington house. Um, like I think on that particular day, they would like there's like livestock and animals that they bring in. It's like the attention to detail is like incredible. Um, and um, I think it was very exciting to be like I as a actor was meeting all those actors and, and, and characters for the first time. But it was cool because they were meeting their the story of their journey is that they're coming to this new place and meeting all these new people for the first time too. So it had that like very like that parallel of like life and, and the story where we are uh, kind of like both sussing each other out for the first time. And um, it's really cool because uh, we don't, I mean, everyone who watches the show, like Rick and the group of survivors, like, like there are people, there are heroes, but we at the Hilltop, we, we don't know who they are. So it's cool to regard them with a lot of suspicion at that time because, uh, you know, we've been terrorized by the saviors for years, and mm -hmm. you know, it, it's cool to kind of go on that discovery of understanding them and like learn to trust them, and and yeah, and just as an actor, yeah, awesome to meet and work with all of them. Xander Berkeley, amazing human being, incredible actor, definitely like you know a, a role model, and um, just like it's just really cool to be on set with him and shoot the shit and uh, crack jokes. We know it's funny. People sometimes say, you know, they they hate this actor, they hate this actress. You know, like a, another show I love is uh, Breaking Bad. I, I love that show to death. And you know, you hate Walter White. You hate Skyler, right? You hate Walter White's wife. And it's like, you know, some some of these actors and actresses actually get death threats because they're playing their parts so darn well that people hate that what they think is the person. It's it's the character. But that goes to show you, like Gregory, he was hated. Um, but I think there was such a, something that was so funny, and I think this is where a lot of people loved you and loved Cal as a character right away, because you brought in humor. So you're the guy, you're one of the guards at the gate. And I'm, if I try to remember this scene, you know, there's, you know, I think it was where Gregory's begging to come back in, whatever, and, uh, you know, knocking at the gate, let me in, let me in, whatever. And um, I think uh, Gregory's talking to Maggie, and so, so Cal comes up, says something about Cal, whatever, and he says, Cal, Cal's delusional. Whatever, and then you're like, you're, you go over there, you reach over the top, and you flip the bird at him, whatever. And uh, that was, I mean, that just sold your character right there. This is going to be a guy that we're going to love. Yeah, no, that was an awesome moment. Um, I'm really glad we could uh, have that. And just like kind of more the backstory banter between the two of us. Yeah. It was like, I think the last, like the last time you saw me was like before uh, Gregory went out on a kind of an kind of like a a ratting out mission to go talk to the saviors it's like he calls me into his study and it's like yeah pack a bag you know we're going to be spending a few nights on the road mm -hmm. and then like between he and i in our dialogue at 
at the gate, it's like we get to learn what it's like to travel on the road with someone like just one on one with someone like Gregory, you know, like stealing a girl's pancakes and like <laughs> how when I finally figure out what he actually is, his motivation is, it's like I can't be a part of that and letting him go on his own way. So um, that being able to kind of fill in all the like like have a conversation with someone with all that history, all that recent history kind of percolating underneath. That was like really great. And uh, I think it was like, it feels like, like, like the middle finger that everyone had always wanted to give to Gregory that uh, no one really had a chance to do. So, yeah. That's um, a powerful finger. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, uh, was very, very happy and proud to, uh, flip it off to, uh, yeah, my friend. I think I think that was all funneled through you, you know, for every cast member that, you know, a character, I should say, not cast member, but ca- every character that hated him got to right. funnel that anger. And you were you were the, uh, the 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 courier of it, I guess we'll say. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's hilarious. Expedited. expedited uh, yep. Overnight delivery, parents. overnight delivery in that one. Free shipping. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it's funny when you're talking about being the first time coming onto the show, you know, it's if the character's first time meeting you, you're the first time meeting them. I've never read an interview anywhere, at least publicly, where there hasn't been the same experience. Every single character that comes to the table, you know, the, the staff is there, everyone from, from, you know, crew to cast to, you know, people in, in head office, you know, welcoming people with welcome arms or welcoming arms and open arms and just make them feel like they're part of the family. I think that's got to really make that pressure like, wow, we're here. I can do this thing. I can just be me. It's got to be pretty cool for an actor on set. Yeah, 100%. Because, like, you know, you walk into that set and it's it's massive. It's a massive operation. It's very easily uh, – it could be like a film, like a feature, like a studio, $100 million feature film Hollywood set. It's – I mean, obviously, depending on where you are. Right. And like what, but every time you're at the hilltop, that's what it feels like. Um Cause it's just, it's huge. And like the amount of people that you have at every department is massive to kind of like, uh, like dial up to a hundred percent reality. The, the, the life to give, like tell the story of everyday life at that, at that community. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got like, people in the, um, like there's like a landscaping department that's like moving, like moving little bushes around Jeez. to get the right look. And like, de-stressing stuff and putting the right amount of smoke out of like the uh the blacksmith or like you know you've got like a lot all these like extras who are have like really detailed clothing but they're also carrying very detailed props and like they're given very detailed like direction of how like like generally what to be doing in the background just to all tell a cohesively like the same story of what it's like to be there and um yeah, it's just it's it's amazing. It's like there's like no acting required. It's just completely realistic. I, I love that, especially like when you're off the soundstage, you're not doing any soundstage shooting, like you say at Hilltop. You after a while, you might almost feel like okay, this just feels like you're not actually you're like well, yeah, you're not acting anymore. You're just in a real world. There's gardening going on, you know, and I, obviously people are doing smoke and things like that to you know set a scene. That's a little different story. It's some special effects, but the real deal, you know, uh, trimming hedges and you know getting crops going, stuff like that. It almost feel like it's an everyday life now at that point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like that scene that we were talking about earlier from nine oh three, like mm-hmm. where Maggie and I are on that wagon. Like real mules, real functional, practical mule-drawn cart. Um, 
the real deal. It's yeah, it's real. Like those mules are pulling that cart. Uh, I mean, we have a professional that can like help us actually steer the thing, but sometimes, you know, like there's like some mild interaction between the reins and the, and the, and the mules. And it's just like, we're on an abandoned road. Um, where anything could happen. Yeah. And it's just, uh, it's just, it's, it's really incredible. You know, like the things that we get to do, I mean, you know, a lot of actors, they love acting cause they get to play and it just feels like that's all you're doing. You know, it just, it's complete make believe. Yeah, I was going to say that make believe. Exactly. Yeah, I think that would be fun too, especially more so than some of these cars, you know, scenes that we see, like we've seen some of these awesome, you know, scenes where, you know, it's a, a fast chasing scene. And in reality, you're actually, it's a car being towed by another car on a, on a flatbed, you know, and you got a camera crew beside riding, you know, so I mean, the actor can look away for a half an hour if he wants to and not crash into anything, you know, and we're always like, Rick, keep your eyes on the road, but he doesn't really have to, right? But being that you're controlling these reins of uh, the mules and everything yourself, that's even if it's for a brief moment, that's got to really put the realism in your mind, which in, in turn goes to the audience uh, realistically too. Yeah, yeah, I, uh, I hope so. Um, no, I think it's I think yeah, it does. I, yeah, yeah, it's it's really great. Like, it's it's a lot of fun. <laughs> that's I know you can see you can see it you can see it's very very contagious amongst people. And, and I'm, I've, I like your passion that you have about it too. Obviously that comes across just in, in your, your acting and, and your normal everyday life too. But I was telling the wife here, I, when we did the test call, I said, this is going to be a fun show because you're passionate about it. You know, there's some people that are just in some gigs for a paycheck and I know paychecks obviously are nice for everybody what they do, but the passion you have, I think you bring a lot yourself as James, the actor to the, to the table. And I think that's got to be uh, well-respected by your peers there as well too. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I guess I've just always believed in like, you know, work hard, treat people nice. And um, I don't know. They make it easier to do that over there. So. Yeah. I always say work work like you're trying work as hard to keep your job as you did to as you, you know, uh, audition for the gig. You know, it's true. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. you get complacent. It's like you just go on autopilot while The Walking Dead is a show where dead is in the title and people do die. And, you know, you don't give your 110 percent, which is you know, obviously 100 um, percent. There's someone waiting to take your spot. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's, uh, it's a wild, wild west out there. That's right. You know, at. A few more comments over in the chat here, too. So back further when we were talking about RJ. So Amber was saying uh, uh, she was wondering if maybe he left with Maggie. That's a good theory as well, too. Maggie mm-hmm. could have, you know, uh, brought him along. Maybe thinking that um, Michonne was out of her right mind because she did kind of go crazy there. Uh, let me see here. Nocturnal Butterfly says, I think some Walking Dead fans would make most excellent detectives. I would agree with that. Some of the things they can put together. I remember, yeah. you remember back with, um, end of season seven, um, when, uh, you know, who basically who killed, who Negan killed and remember all these people is like the, like putting the scientific film together. Okay. With a blood splatter went over here from here. And if we mirrored that, it's like, oh my goodness, man. Um, and I, I don't honestly know if anybody was right with that, with their theories, but there are some good detectives out there in the Walking Dead uh, family, that's for sure. Uh, let me see. Uh, Amber also says, this is amazing. Thank you so much, Walking Dead. Our Paris 34 says, thanks for asking the question. No problem. Uh, Nocturnal Butterfly also says, be sure to check out all of James' links in the description of this video. And she's been sharing a lot of your links as well, too, throughout the program in the chat. Um, oh, thanks. Yeah, so it's showing some love your way there. Uh, Gamma, Gamma says Xander did an awesome job on the show and people really trashed him. And that's the thing. Next time you hate an actor or an actress... Tell yourself this, that person doing a really, really good job. Or sometimes, I mean, it's very, very, very rare that the the actor is not doing a good job and it makes you hate them. And 
you know, you got to go easy on the hate either way. But in most cases, wouldn't you say if, if you really despise a person that there's, they're probably doing that part really, really well. hundred percent, hundred percent. Um, yeah, it's funny. Cause like when you mentioned, um, uh, Skyler and a gun from breaking bad, like mm-hmm. I watched every minute of that series, loved it to death. Mm-hmm. Um, I think she's a phenomenal actress. Yes. Um, I mean, it's it's different because, like, I, I guess as an actor, I know what it takes to like pull stuff like that off. So it's like, uh, there's a lot of. Uh, I'm able to think of it as an actor and as an audience member. So it's when I moved as an audience member, my my actor side is like, wow, like well done. Um, but it's true, you know. Um, the, a lot of reasons. It's like something that's very exciting and interesting for an actor to play is someone who's not. I, I wouldn't even say like well liked, but like uh, I think it's fascinating to explore why someone would behave in a way where people may not like them. Uh, like clearly, there's something more important to them than being liked, and that's always I think really exciting. Um, and Gregory, for example, bringing it back to our show, you know, like it's a world of survivalists and people who've managed to. I feel like the further along that we are in this this uh, show, we 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 see the people. We're left seeing the people who've made it this far, and it's like you see all the different ways people have survived. Um, down down to um, oh god, what's her name? Uh, who shows up with the twins with the glasses to get the technology to. Uh, uh, like Maggie in the hilltop, like the, how to make windmills and stuff. Oh, Georgie. Georgie, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, it's down down to those kinds of people. So, I mean, everyone's got a different approach and it like, I think it's cool. It speaks to like, it speaks to the backstory of what happened to that person in, in up until that moment that you met them. It's like when you're walking down the street and you see someone that's like getting into a fight with you for like you're online at the grocery store, you're trying to get a parking spot and so-and-so is being like a total D bag. But it's like people don't usually act like that for no reason at all. I yeah. Mean, it's definitely related to something in their day or their life, which is what the part we're not seeing. And, uh, to me, that's like the interesting thing about watching those kinds of characters on TV. It's like, okay, something happened with you. That's right. Well, here, here's two opposite characters that you can both hate, and, and one of them you can hate and love. Well, Negan will say, for example, and I think we're going to get to see some really cool side of him, you know, with uh, Re- Andrew Lincoln's departure. Uh, maybe we'll see a, a softer side of Negan, who knows? But you kind of, for the most part, hate him, and you hate you you hate to like him, but let's take his his right-hand man, ex-right-hand man. Uh, I don't want to say, well, Dwight could have been that right-hand man, second, whatever, but I'm talking about Simon. Yeah. Stephen Ogg, who, you know, I love just thanks to Grand Theft Auto, you know, and Breaking Bad as well. He was in Breaking Bad. But, you know, y- you hated that guy, didn't really have any real charm. Negan's got some charm, so you can like him for the charm, whether whether he's a villain or not. But uh, uh, Simon, you hated him to his core because, you know, he, he, you know, he was becoming the boss. He wanted to be the boss and even planned to overthrow the boss. You know, kind of backstabbed uh, Negan several times, obviously, with uh, Jadis's people and things like that. But another person you hate, and he's selling it home every time. I mean, what a what a loss to show on that one too. That was a bit of you know you knew it had to go. Once you're going to start overthrowing your boss, your 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 time's up. 
What's that expression like? Don't outshine the master. <laughs> yes, yeah, which he did. And I'm thinking yeah. that that one of those final scenes, just before the fight, whatever, too. You know, when you know Dwight basically sold him out, and uh, he's out there, and, and he was planning, planning on plotting to kill Negan there and have everyone shoot. And then you know, oh, I need you to stand right here, Dwight, and then uh, Simon stand over here, whatever. That was such a, an incredible scene. Right. Yeah, right, really bamboozled right. him there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's um. Those kinds of uh, it's like a, it's almost like a like a, like a gang gang culture or you know what I yeah, mean? Where yeah. it's like, right? It's like a, they rule with like a fist of they rule over everyone with fear of death all the time. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's fascinating to see like what kind of people what that brings out of people and like how people jockey for power in those kinds of organizations or communities. Um, uh, you know, I thought that was like an amazing moment that Negan had in one of the last, most recent episodes before the, um, before the hiatus, like where uh, Lauren comes back to Alexandria and she's just like, has that amazing scene with Michonne is like, you don't get it, but it's like to live with this every day for a year and a half. And she goes in there and just like crushes skull in. And, uh, but we get to, I, I love that moment because it was kind of like, kind of we're talking about people you love to hate and like figuring out why and I felt like that was Negan's Wizard of Oz moment where yeah. he was always like this he it was like his reputation was so much of his power I mean he is obviously a sadistic murderous person as well but like you know everyone was like what's your name like who are you like I'm Negan I'm Negan I'm Negan I'm Negan it was like manufacturing like the reputation of fear mm-hmm. and he was and Maggie was like, step into the light, step into the light. And he just wouldn't step into the light. And she grabbed his ass and threw him in the light. And you got this, it's almost like that was the metaphorical pulling of the curtain away. Yeah. We see who he was. And we saw him so withered and just like destroyed. Um, yeah, he was, was broken. He was broken at that point. Yeah, totally broken. Um, probably like the most absolutely lowest and most vulnerable that we've, weak that we've ever seen him. And we just got to see him like begging to be with his with his wife and his like his bat and uh, and seal and um, that was cool. That was awesome to see that side of someone that sadistic. Yeah. You know, something that was funny, and I'm going to ask you one more question here in a second, and we'll get ready to wrap up. Uh, but I thought it was almost, it's, it was spooky, scary, and like, okay, what's what's going to go on here? But almost you want to laugh, too, at one way. He's playing with his, you know, tennis ball, whatever. He's bouncing off the wall, bouncing off the wall, and it goes under the gate. And then, you know, when he, he realizes the gate's open, it's almost like he's like, you know, and, and he just, okay, I think I'm just going to leave now. That was, you almost want to laugh because you can almost picture like, you know, like, oh my God, right? The gate's open. But it was a very kind of a very emotional moment because you could have been a wow or you could have been laughing at the same time. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. That yeah. was pretty cool. Yeah. The last thing I want to ask you before we let you go here, and uh, and I really appreciate your time this evening, which has been great, and the fans are enjoying it as well too, um, was a question about Andrew Lincoln. Everyone always talked about him as being, you know, kind of the uh, uh, the the I don't I don't want to use the word ringleader on the set, but just a really positive role model, one of the first people on set, one of the last people off the set. And you know, you talked about meeting a lot of these people for the first time. Maybe you can share some thoughts on on the atmosphere when when Andrew was there and with the departure of him now. How how have things changed a little bit? Maybe just kind of share some positive things uh, on how it was like meeting him and working with him over the over the years. 
Uh, oh my god, hundred percent. Yeah, Andrew was the first like series regular that I met on that set. It was when I got to um, a location where they were filming. Uh, I guess it was the scene where they first meet Jesus. Okay. Uh, uh, I was there for a hair and makeup test, which took a while because at that time Cal's hair was very short and they were really trying to get it like specific. So, but I was given an introduction to Andrew. He was just like, he was uh, between takes, uh, you know, in his chair and just couldn't have been a more welcoming, gentlemanly human being. Um, and his, been that way every moment since then that I've ever seen him on set. And, um, and I know everyone says the same thing about him. Like, it's just true. Uh, and, uh, Oh, like that first day that I was working where, you know, so much of what's happening was shrouded in secrecy. It was just like the day before I found out who I was playing. Mm-hmm. I didn't have the script to read. I hadn't caught up on what was happening in the graphic novels. So it's the moment where the Rick survivor group first arrive and they come up to the gate. It's like, and so many of us just didn't know quite what were, was happening. And it, it, it's like Rick, uh, Andrew became Rick talking to the group it's like catching us up to speed like you don't know who these people are like you just saw them murder like a 16 year old boy in front of you brutally beaten to death like you don't know if these people coming up to your gates are the if it's going to be more people like that like you don't know if death is just one mistake away like one mistake of like letting your guard down for one moment and uh and he was just whipping us all into I think this emotional state that we needed to be in, which was an amazing gift, you know, and uh, you just really shined as like a leader and a coach and a quarterback or a captain, I should say Mm -hmm. uh, at at that time, especially. Um, But you know, anytime, like, you know, I film a lot of stuff at the Hilltop and a lot of that's with Lauren and um, like Lauren is like, awesome and she's completely commanding like like setting the tone and the leadership and like the professionalism and the preparedness and like the goodwill um all all the time so anytime that rick is not there you know before and after his departure it's Mm -hmm. like you know she's absolutely like just an incredible, an incredible person to, to be around. And she and Daryl or Norman, and you know, all of them are just absolutely fantastic. Well, something that Andrew's always said many times in countless hundreds of interviews he's always he's done, he's always said the show is bigger than one person. And when you have a favorite character, uh, whether male or female on the show, it's hard to accept that and hard to believe that. You're like, oh, you know, Maggie's my favorite person and she's the only person or Rick's my only person. I've been a Rick fan since day one. And it's hard to accept that at first. And then you realize that when he's been gone now for, for quite some time, uh, eight ep- well, not eight episodes, but I mean, there's eight episodes so far. He was gone in, in uh, episode uh, five and six. Um, you, you get it after the fact. It's like, you know, you, you still miss him, but it uh, it is for the betterment of the show. 
And uh, that's really hard to believe sometimes. Uh, someone you've watched since the pilot episode can be gone and the show goes on. But um, it's almost like it's he's got, in the nest and he, he's letting the, the babies fly off, right, and do their own thing. And it, it's really coming to life with, without him. And I, we are going to get the blessing of seeing him in three movies and see where the story went. And I think that's going to be some closure that we didn't get as a death of the character, I think. Now, I, I'm sure we're not going to see him die in, in, those, in the movies. I'm not saying that. But a lot of people wanted to see a death of Rick to have that closure of losing that guy. So I think these three movies, the trilogy, whatever they're going to do with that, will give us the closure um, that a lot of us have kind of needed. Yeah, sure. I mean, I think just to comment on that point about how, like, yeah, the person that we started off with on episode one of the pilot is not with us anymore. Um, kind of goes back to what we were talking about with, like, this feeling like um, a universe that we're in, that we're exploring as people living inside it. Because, I mean, that's what would happen in real life. Like, it's almost like war, mm-hmm. you know? Like, just because someone is your friend doesn't mean that they're untouchable. Um, and it happens every day. Like, tragedies happen every day. And um, I think, yeah, it's like as an, as an audience member who wants to be entertained or almost like, I mean, it makes complete sense, right? Like, you've we've developed a relationship with someone for eight over eight years, going into nine years. And it's like they do feel like that those people feel like family. So it's like when they just like we would in real life to a friend or a family member, like it, it's, it's difficult to part with someone without that kind of emotional closure. Like that's why we have funerals, right? Like, and that's, I think that's speaking to the closure that you're talking about of what people wanted with it, with seeing a death. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, yeah, it's crazy. You know, sometimes you can't, sometimes like there are freak accidents and tragedies that happen in life. And we, we aren't, we don't have the opportunity for a neat and tidy closure in yeah. life. And I feel like, um, I mean, again, I feel like it's one of those awesome things that the show is able to do. It just kind of gives it that like feel that it's that much more real. Cause that's what it would kind of be like in, in real life. And I guess like in real life, what you would do is you would have, you would try to have your own like way of saying goodbye to that person. Yeah. I'm sure there's like tons of videos online of people doing it in their own way. Yeah, no, it's very, very well said. Well, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to the back half and whether or not we'll see Cal, um, that's up for debate. But um, if, if we do or if we don't, I, I want to thank you, uh, for obviously, for everything you've done f- from season six through current. You've been a great asset to the show. Um, you're, I think you're, like I said, your energy is contagious. I'm sure that's um, been a, a spinoff on everybody else on the show, too. And I really want to thank you for your time tonight and actually going the extra mile when we had some technical problems there before Christmas, allowing you, you know, to come back again. So thank you very, very much. It's been a real pleasure having you this evening. And really, I cannot think of a better way than to start a Monday and a starting of the entire year uh, with a Monday so thank you so much uh, Eric my pleasure my pleasure so great to, to chat and uh, to connect and to just ring in the new year with uh, this this awesome conversation and hangout time and thank you to everyone of your fans that are watching uh, thank you really very fun. very much I will say goodbye to you off the air uh, so don't go anywhere we'll say goodbye here but everyone thank you so much in the chat we are a great audience here this evening thank you for your great questions over in the chat as well too for James and Walking Dead picks up I think February 10th if I'm not mistaken so we're looking forward to that not that far away uh, pretty much a month and a couple days so not too uh, not too bad at all 
we'll look forward to that. Uh, Ken Wong says, thank you, James and Eric, and everyone saying thank you as well, too. Uh, Gamma says, we'll do need to promote. Awesome. Thank you so much, guys and girls. Appreciate it. And uh, say goodbye to you off the year. We'll stick around one sec. See everyone. See you real soon. Until next time. Cheers. Hey, EVH Gear TV and Eddie Van Halen fans. If you are like me, you find the time to read books difficult. Why not have it read to you? Grab one of three critically acclaimed Van Halen audiobooks like Van Halen Rising by Greg Grenoff, Running with the Devil by Noel Monk, or Everybody Wants Some by Ian Christie, available right now from Audible. Sign up for a free trial with zero obligation to get any one of these three audiobooks today. You can cancel if you wish after your trial membership expires and keep the book. There are many other great titles to choose from as well. Links in the description below, but just remember audibletrial.com slash TV. Click the link below and go grab your first free audiobook. Thank you for listening to this edition of EVH and Gear TV. This episode is being brought to you in part by VanHalenStore.com. Shop VanHalenStore.com for the largest selection of official Van Halen merchandise and memorabilia. Be sure to check out our website at evhgeardiscussion.com for more updates and follow us on social media.